Well, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark this morning. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Uh, last week, we saw Jesus perform a miracle over nature to demonstrate his authority over nature. We're, we're in a series of miracles in which Jesus is doing just that, demonstrating his authority as the Son of God. Next week, we're going to see Jesus demonstrate his authority over sickness and death. This morning, in the passage that we're going to be looking at, again, Mark 5, verses 1 through 20, and I encourage you to turn to it if you haven't already. This morning, we're going to see Jesus' authority over the demonic realm. Now, this isn't his first confrontation with someone who is demon-possessed, but it is the most dramatic, and it is also the one with the greatest amount of detail. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're, I'm sorry, if you're not a Christian believer... Um, your immediate reaction to what I'm about to read may be to dismiss it. And I want to ask you to keep an open mind for this reason alone. Questions of ultimate reality are questions that are only answerable by faith. I can't prove to you that the spiritual realm exists. You can't prove to me that only the material universe exists. We are both beyond the reach of science. We're both beyond the realm of proof and into the realm of plausibility when it comes to questions like that. So keep an open mind. Second, uh, whether you're a Christian believer or not, you will have more questions than I will be able to answer in the time allotted for this sermon. I've, I've touched on this issue uh, twice before in Mark's Gospel. You can go back and, and listen to those sermons if you'd like. Um, but even if you were to piece together what I said then and what I'm saying here, uh, it would still fall far short of answering all the questions that you may have. So I'm going to put a link to a book that I recommend to you. It's Frederick Leahy's book, Satan Cast Out a study in biblical demonology. Um, if you'd like to do a deep dive into what the Bible has to say about uh, demonology, that's the one that I'd recommend you read. There'll be a link on our Facebook page and in the YouTube uh, channel as well. Uh, so, I mentioned that this is the most dramatic exorcism in the Bible, uh, where Jesus had earlier cast out a single demon. Here, he cast out a legion of demons from a person. But it's also the longest account. We get in this text what one theologian called one of the most lamentable stories of human wretchedness in the Bible. And I think the lamentable, tragic story of this man is vividly portrayed for us in this passage for a reason. He wasn't a prop in the story. He was an image bearer of God, deeply defaced by the fall. And I think we're meant to feel his grief. We're also meant to both rejoice in and learn from his deliverance. There's a commissioning here that is prototypical for every believer delivered from the domain of darkness, even if the darkness wasn't as deep as it was for him. So there's three things we're going to look at this morning. First, the plight of a man in the domain of darkness. Second, the power of Christ to deliver. And then third, the call of the redeem to proclaim the good news. But first, let's read the text. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Hear the word of God. 
They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that this text is in our Bibles, that this real story, this thing that happened in real time, in history, next to the Sea of Galilee, on the side of a mountain, down on the beach, in front of a crowd, has been preserved for us so that we can read it and that by the power of your Spirit we can learn from it. Lord, help us to see your power in this passage, but help us also to feel the plight of this man and then help us to give gratitude and thanksgiving for the grace that you have showered upon all whom you have delivered from the domain of darkness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, the plight of a man in the domain of darkness. A couple things we see. The man was demon-possessed. Now, in verses 2, 8, and 13, he's referred to as having an unclean spirit. And from a Jewish perspective, talking to this Gentile man, um, it was an unclean spirit. He was considered ceremonially unclean from the Jewish perspective. But in verses 15, 16, and 18, he is referred to as a demon-possessed man. And we're told he's not possessed by a single demon. He's possessed by a legion of demons. We saw that in verse 9 of the passage. Now, a legion was a Roman military unit made up of about 6,000 troops. Now, that doesn't mean that this man had 6,000 
demons. It is, however, a way of giving us a picture of the magnitude of the possession. The first part of verse 3 and verse 5 are absolutely heart-wrenching. Verse 3 says that he lived among the tombs. Now the Greek there could be translated, he lived in the tombs. And since the tombs were caves, it may well have been true. Decaying bodies at the very back, and this poor soul taking shelter at the very front. He lived among the tombs. He was cut off from his family, cut off from his friends. Was he married? Did he have children? He was cut off. He was cut off from his community. And then look at verse 5. Verse 5 tells us, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. What a terrifying image. Here's a man who is possessed by demons. He's in some way experiencing a complete loss, actually not a complete loss of his personhood, but the image of God in him is so defaced that it's like he's barely human anymore. The demons inside him are seeking to destroy him. We know that that's the intent from what we see happen when they're thrown into the the herd of pigs. The demons inside him are seeking to destroy him and yet there's enough of his humanity left that he cries out, make it stop. Make it stop. And then there's verse 15. Mark writes, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man the one who had the legion sitting there. Now, that phrase, the demon-possessed man, is literally the demonized one. And, and commentators ask the question, why not refer to him as the one who once had a demon? Why refer to him as the demonized one? Or, or even, you know, kind of more importantly, why not name him? Why not tell us his name? And the most logical answer is because that's what people called him. Oh, that's the demonized one. He'd been stripped of his identity. He was only known by his malady. What are we to make of this? Well, my hunch is that no one in your life is this deep in darkness, this afflicted by demons, this much a shadow of his or her former self, this far it would seem gone. But there are people in your life in deep darkness. There are people in your life facing afflictions that if not demonic oppression are the result of the fall. There are probably people in your life who are shadows of their former self. There are people in your life who may seem too far gone. Do you still see them? Are they on your heart? Are they, are they in a metaphorical tomb in the recesses of your mind? Has their personhood been reduced to what's broken about them? This text challenges us to really see people in their brokenness and not write them off. They are 
people. They are image bearers of God, deeply defaced by the effects of the fall, deeply deceived by the ruler of this world, and deeply conflicted within. There's a part of them that wants to be free. They're created in the image of God. They're created to worship God and enjoy him forever. That's what it means to be free. But both under the influence of the darkness and of their own volition, night and day, they hurt themselves time and again, even as part of them cries out for help, even if we don't audibly hear it. Are we filled with pity when we think about people like that? Jesus is. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you. Full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is able, he is willing. Doubt no more. We must see the plight of all people in the domain of darkness. We also need to see the power of Christ to deliver So secondly, the power of Christ to deliver. And I want to start off this second point by giving a thumbnail sketch of what the Bible teaches about the demonic realm. So first, we have an adversary, the devil. The Bible makes that plain to us. Satan is a created being. He is a fallen angel. He rebelled against God and he took a whole army of rebel angels with him. Though he was defeated at the cross, he still seeks to destroy. Paul tells us in Colossians 2 that Christ triumphed over Satan at the cross. But Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 that Satan is a lion roaming around looking for someone to devour. And John, in Revelation 12, tells us that Satan has come down in great wrath, literally filled with fury because he knows his time is short. He knows he can't win, but he wants to cause as much pain as possible in the time that he has left. Demon possession, the Bible tells us, is real, but rare often misdiagnosed, and never of a believer. You see it in Acts. So this isn't just something that happened prior to the, uh, the resurrection, prior to the cross when Jesus dealt the, de- dealt the death blow to Satan. There's demon possession still in the book of Acts. And you hear of it from uh, missionaries on the mission's frontier still today. It's real, But it's rare. It's most often seen where uh, there are cultures that are more given to the occult or to dark magic. It's real, but it's rare. It's also frequently misdiagnosed. There's not a demon for every problem. There's not a demon of cancer. There's just cancer. And it's never of a believer. A Christian is indwelt by the Spirit of God, and light hath no fellowship with darkness. We are not left without weapons for our warfare. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that our, our battle is against spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. We are to put on the full armor of God that God has provided for us. So there are four keys I want to hit on here real quick. First, we must, as Christians, acknowledge the reality of the warfare. Secondly, we need to engage the battle, engage the enemy with the with the weapons that God has fashioned for us, especially the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. 
Third, we need to claim the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. And then we need to remember the certainty of the outcome. And that takes me to the fifth little thumbnail sketch. And I'm going to quote from Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. Luther maybe said, there's all kinds of quotes that are attributed to Luther that's like, "Eh, maybe. But one of the things attributed to Luther is that Satan is God's Satan. In other words, Satan is on a leash. He's not permitted to act beyond the realm, beyond the reach of which God permits him to act. He is on a chain. Job, read Job. That gives you a picture. The thing that we need to remember as Christians is that the only power Satan has over us is the power that we give him. And so Peter in 1 Peter 5, 9 says, resist him, firm in your faith. James in James chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Again, read the book. Or if you'd like to uh, grab a virtual cup of coffee, we can talk more about this. The main point of this passage for this morning is to get an appreciation for the expulsive power of the kingdom of God. That's why we get the detail in verses 3 and 4. Look back. Again, whenever you see things slow down in a narrative and all kinds of detail piled on, we're getting to the heart of the point. So in verses 3 and 4, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. The main point, the thing we're meant to see there is the power of Jesus Christ to deliver. The reason that we get the negotiation, if you will, in verses 10 through 13, is so that we can see Jesus' sovereignty. So take a look there with me. Verse 10, he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out of him and entered the pigs in the herd, numbering 2,000, etc. And, and some commentators have said, why, why, the, why the bartering? <laughs> the, the point is, they're begging Jesus to not permit them to be destroyed, but to rather go into the pigs. And Jesus says, fine, go into the pigs, because that is the means by which I've ordained that you be destroyed. And that's indeed what happened. We're meant to see Jesus' sovereignty in this passage. We're meant to see his power. And the reason for the sea is to remind us of Satan's end. Luke's account of this passage, we hear the the demons begging Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. And Revelation chapter 9, that's the picture that we get of Satan's end being cast into the abyss. Now what does all this mean for you and me? Evil will be made an end of one day. That's one thing that it means for us. There's so much evil in this world. There's so much that we see every day, so much out there, and so much that touches upon our individual lives. And this is one more reminder from Scripture that evil will be made an end of one day. But it is also a reminder to us that no one now is too far gone. No one. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. There is no depth of darkness from which Jesus cannot rescue. There is no rebel heart that Jesus doesn't have the power to subdue and save. 
as in this text, so to today, Jesus has power to deliver. So let's look third then at the call of the delivered to proclaim the good news. How does the story end? Well, the story ends with the man restored. Take a look again at verses 14 and 15. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demonized one, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. The man is restored. The people are afraid. Take a look at verse 16, end of 15, and they were afraid. Verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They were afraid. They begged Jesus to leave. The, The demons had begged Jesus not to make them leave. These people begged Jesus to leave. The man is restored. The people are afraid. But then this man is commissioned to proclaim. He's commissioned to tell his story. So look at verse 18. Verse 18, as he was getting in the boat, that is Jesus, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him. So here's the man begging, let me be with you, Jesus. Let me just be where you are. Let me go with you. But Jesus sent him to the very people that had rejected both him and the man. Jesus said, I want you to go to your family. In other words, the very townspeople who had said to Jesus, we're begging you to leave. Jesus said to this man, I want to leave you as a witness among those people because I have people there that need to hear this good news. I have people there who will respond. So these very same people that rejected me and the very same people that rejected you, off in the tombs, nothing we can do about the demonized one. Go tell them, the good news. Go tell them your story of grace. So how should we apply this in our lives? We'll wrap up here. First, remember with gratitude your deliverance from darkness. You likely were not in darkness as deep as this man, but you were in the domain of darkness. This man was living among the tombs as good as dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins before God made you alive in his son, Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, it is only because, as Paul says in Colossians 1.13, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Remember with gratitude your deliverance from darkness, and then second, move toward brokenness with your story of grace. That man was clothed, he was seated, and he was in his right mind. It's such a preview of redemption, a preview of the age that is to come. It's a preview of what we get to experience in part now. God is all about clothing us. He's all about covering our shame. He's all about wrapping us in the robes of Christ's righteousness. God is all about seating us. He's all about giving us rest from our relentless pursuits. He's all about raising us up with Christ and seating us with him in the heavenly realms. And God is all about uniting our hearts, clearing our heads, that we might glorify his name. If you are a Christian, you have a story of grace. 
Remember with gratitude your deliverance from the domain of darkness. Move toward brokenness with your story of grace. And then third, never lose hope. Never lose hope. No one is too far gone. The plight of the man in the domain of darkness must rouse up pity within you, just as it does for our Savior. Jesus is the great deliverer and restorer of all that is broken through the great reversal that took place at the cross. What appeared to be his defeat was in fact his victory. His power to deliver is the basis of your hope for anyone in the domain of darkness. And finally, as one who has been delivered from darkness yourself entirely, by God's grace, move toward brokenness with God's heart, with God's word, and with your own personal story of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would seal these truths from your word to our hearts. We pray that by your spirit, you would work in us a deep gratitude for the deliverance that you have by your mighty power demonstrated in your Son worked on our behalf. And we pray, O God, that you would help us to know and cherish and proclaim the story, our story. Because each of us, if we are in you, have a story. A story of grace, a story of deliverance. Help us to have the courage and the humility to move toward people in darkness, proclaiming the wonder of your light. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.